Chase Kitty joins us, host of the Lions Edge podcast. I've heard you're on quite a bit tonight, so I'd like to hear. Uh, maybe you're gonna have a better night than Ryan has. Ryan, see, Ryan still has a hangover from San Diego State not covering last night, and it hasn't really gone well with the Cubs or the Nats right now. So maybe give him something he could tail the rest of the way. Yeah, Ryan, we're we're gonna get you off the mat. I have about a million picks across four sports, so I'm just gonna run through it here. Uh, Guardians run line in Oakland tonight. That's minus 105. Love a road team run line. They get the extra inning at the end of the game to, to add to the, the lead, make sure they win by two. David Peralta, RBI, plus 175 in the Dodgers-Rockies game. He's going against Marquez. He's 16 for 49 career, uh, so that's 327. Uh, he's hitting in the six hole tonight, so I'm expecting lots of runners in score position. Uh, it's a pretty good prop, I think, especially for 175. Spurs Suns under 235. I got let's the the uh, Colorado Avalanche puck line at plus 105. They are in San Jose tonight. The Sharks are a garbage home team all year. I don't think they've lost the Sharks all year either. Uh, Canucks minus 105. They're home against Seattle. I have a three-team, three-sport parlay for minus 101 at BetMGM. That's Lakers money line, Dodgers money line, Calgary Flames money line. And Ryan, you asked about tennis last week, and I didn't have anything for you, and I felt kind of bad about that. So (laughs) Ons Jabor playing tonight in Charleston, South Carolina against Lesia Serenko. Uh, Ons Jabor is 30-8 and on clay the last two years and was a finalist at Charleston last year. She is plus 100 on the game line, which is minus 3.5, and, and she's plus 130 to win in straight sets. I think this is cruise territory for her. Wait, who do you like tonight? I'm sorry. So you like uh, Leisha? In the tennis match? Yeah, tennis, sorry. Ons Jabor, she's at Charleston. Okay, yeah, I just saw that. Tunisian finished uh, as the runner-up at Wimbledon last year. I like it. I like it. I'm, I'm, I'm actually betting all these. And then Peralta, you said RBI prop plus 165? 175, yeah. 175. I like that even better. Uh, how did you feel about the NCAA championship game last night? And just, and just the tournament. Driving in, I was like, you know what? That tournament sucked. But, again, sour gripes because I lost. Uh, I did have San Diego State plus seven and a half pretty big last night and the under which was looking really good probably should have middled a little bit but uh san diego state wouldn't stop fouling even down double digits last night yeah so i mean the the championship round part of it i mean i thought uconn was the obvious play once you got to the final four i think i even said last week they were like minus 120 once we were in the final four once we were before saturday and I was kind of surprised they weren't, like, minus 200. Because what what was the argument, historically speaking, that any of the other three teams were going to win? I mean, everybody deserves props when you make it to the Final Four. But this is not generally a sport, college football or college basketball, where you see a lot of mid-majors win that last game of the year. So I was – I mean, I thought the obvious approach was bet UConn in the futures market ahead of Saturday's games, and then you have the hedge there if you want it for Monday. I just didn't want it. I, I was just – happy to let it ride with UConn so that part wasn't surprising the tournament as a whole I think you can do a lot of think piece stuff off of I think as an entertainment product it's interesting to watch a tournament where everybody loves upsets and everybody wants to see you know 16 seeds beat the one seeds everybody loves a Cinderella story but then you get lots of Cinderella stories in the final week and it's like ah where'd everybody go where where are all the teams we care about and as a college hoops guy, like my grandfather was a college hoops coach. I love this stuff. I watch the, no matter who the teams are, no matter what the games are. Like I am so all in on college hoops no matter what it looks like. But I think 
from the general public consumer product, there is kind of a happy medium zone of the amount of upsets and the amount of Cinderella's we want. And last year, we got, even though Carolina was an eight seed, it was super blue blood heavy at the end. And this year, it was super upset heavy throughout. And we got, you know, a Final Four where three of the teams had never been to the Final Four before. So I just I just think that sense of balance is interesting. I think uh, you could you know you could kind of see whatever narrative you want with the tournament we had. If you want to make the case that it's more flat competitively because of NIL or because of the COVID rules or because of the increase in use of the transfer portal and, and the more lax transfer rules, you can kind of build your case around whatever you want. I do think this is a tournament we will look at historically 10 years from now and we'll wonder, was this an outlier or was this a harbinger of what is to come in college hoops? Yeah, that's what I was just about to say is this might be an inflection point, right? This is the start of a new chapter of college hoops where, like you said, the competitive play has been flattened due to NIL, due to the transfer portal, et cetera, et cetera. What does that mean, in your opinion, for the women's game as that turns into a more uh, increasing popular sport as we saw last weekend? I think the thing with the women's game, uh, of which certainly there are people more qualified to talk about the women's game than me, but I I do really like women's hoops. I've covered women's hoops uh, for a lot of years when I was younger. I think the thing I always appreciated about college basketball on the women's side was that it was it was so much more fundamentals heavy. The game is a little bit different, I think, historically, if you watched it. And I think we're starting to see the influence of more of the pop culture stuff, more of the NBA stuff in the women's game. Like, you watch Caitlin Clark, and she is so clearly a Steph Curry mold, which is really cool to watch. Uh, and as the women's game maybe evolves at a faster pace now than it did 10 or 15 years ago, that's an absolute positive. I still think the way that um, – I could be wrong about this. I think the way the women's game is, it's even more not top-heavy, but dominated by a couple of brands more so than the men's game and I am really reticent to write off the Yukons, the South Carolinas the Notre Dames, the Stanfords that that are just super super consistent there at the top level. It's not always the same three or four teams. It kind of bounces around between eight or nine but it it feels like so much of the like 99% versus 1% thing is present in the women's game which I think is another reason why the Iowa and Caitlin Clark stuff was so much fun. Talking to Chase Kitty, Ben MGM tonight. Uh, we got a, kind of an early look at the uh, NFL win totals. Played a little game because we didn't have them all memorized yet. Guessing some of them. Got some right. Got some not right. Some a little bit of a surprise. Uh, when you have taken an early peek at those, I know we got a long way to go. We still got the draft and all that. But is there anything that stands out to you? Something maybe too high, too low, or just worth maybe jumping on now? Yeah, I, I wrote something about this for the blog at Ben MGM today, actually. It's, it's funny to look at the Jets numbers. Um, the Jets have finished in fourth place in the AFC East for four straight years. They have, after the Kings' uh, playoff run is, is now finally, the drought's finally over, the Jets own the longest playoff drought in professional North American sports. And if you go to BetMGM and you look at the Jets' futures for next year, the win total is 9.5, and, and they're minus 150 to make the playoffs. That, to me, is nuts. I mean, f- forget about like realized versus actual odds and, and whether or not the Aaron Rodgers stuff is actually going to end up happening or whether it's going to get held up because the Packers have an increasing amount of leverage every day this trade doesn't happen the market kind of falls apart after the NFL draft because you have fewer teams that are 
ostensibly in the mix to trade for a guy like that, even though I don't think the list of teams is that big to begin with. So, like, put all of that aside. The idea, I, I don't even think the numbers make sense next to each other. You have a really tight AFC uh, where all of these really good quarterbacks are, like, creating real high-level competition to make the playoffs and get into those top seven seeds. Aaron Rodgers goes from being a top one or two quarterback in the NFC to a 40-year-old guy in an AFC with a lot of really talented, really young guys who aren't going to take any crap from anybody, especially a 40-year-old man who is perhaps declining in play. Uh, it seems like maybe the MVP stuff maybe is a little bit behind him, I, and it's not a slight at him. If you're 40, you're going to probably be declining at least a little bit. You're past your prime at that point. So it, it's it's just so weird to see the numbers of – Minus 130 for over nine and a half wins, but minus 150 to make the playoffs, meaning it would be more likely for them to make the playoffs than win 10 games. I, what's the path for a nine and eight Jets team to be in the playoffs in a crowded AFC? Just the whole mm -hmm. thing doesn't make any sense to me. Hmm. Well, I disagree. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, Chase. How would you play the Lamar Jackson thing that's going on right now? Because I know everybody expects him to be traded. I just, I don't know. And I'm looking at it today, and Baltimore is plus 325 to win the AFC North. I know everybody likes the Bengals. The Browns should be much better with a full year of Deshaun Watson. But where do you think Lamar ends up? And how would you, is there anything to do in the market, kind of like predicting where he does end up? I think it's really hard to play at this point without inside info and I definitely don't have inside info on Lamar Jackson stuff I if if I had to I would I would probably lay out uh that's what I'll that's what I've done and that's probably what I will continue to do but if I had to I think I would bet on him coming back to Baltimore and I would take some Baltimore positions and that seems so impossible right now it seems really ugly it seems like there's no coming back from it but lots of stuff feels like that in the moment and it, it feels to me like like just there's there's so few teams that are willing to get involved with the negotiation that are willing to pay him whatever the number is that are, that want to get involved in this weird agentless negotiation situation that's how it seems from the outside again I don't really have a lot of specialized inside information on this particular thing but for me if there's nowhere for him to go and that's an if that's an assumption but if you take that assumption at face value, he either is going to sit out next year or he's back with the Ravens because they have tagged him. So it's the non-exclusive tag, but they have right. tagged him. So the idea would be he's not going to play next year. He's going to get traded or he's going to sign somewhere else or he's going to be back with the Ravens. And I think of those three ideas, the one that we're all really reticent to think about right now is they don't come back to the Ravens because of how ugly it is. That opens up a betting opportunity in the market. Yeah, not to pop around too many sports, but obviously NBA is coming to a close in the regular season. There's a lot of uh, you know ambiguity in terms of how the bottom of the West is going to shake out. You've got three teams, Lakers, Warriors, and Clippers, all trying to get into the top six. One of those teams won't. You've got the Pelicans on a heater. You've got the Timberwolves right there. How are you playing the rest of this regular season, and, and how are you going to approach the playoffs because Ryan is all in on series prices. So th there's a couple of interesting tidbits. Uh, the the Lakers Clippers game Wednesday night is huge. Mm -hmm. uh, the the, um, the outsized impact that's going to have on the playoff standings. I mean, one of them is probably going to end up the winner of that game. Probably going to end up with a good position. 
Losers probably in a play-in game. Uh, you have... Uh, I heard you guys talk... I know this is... I'm going to jump back to the West. I just don't want to forget this. You guys were talking about the Hawks to make or miss the playoffs, and I think it was Nick that was saying you liked the 275. I love that. I think if you look at the games and you look at how they're playing right now, like they're probably going to go one and three these yep. last few. I think they could fall out of it. I don't trust them in a play-in situation. Uh, we were talking about the... Uh, the Bulls at plus that's the Bulls that are the two seventy five. Yep, yep. I love the Bulls to make the playoff. I think they're going to go three and one. Now they can lose the, to the Bucks. I think they're going to win the other three games. Uh, Trista, you were talking about the value with the Warriors falling out of it. I think numerically you make a really good case. I am struggling to see them losing to your Portland squad. Portland has been. I don't have to tell you they have been really really putrid the last few weeks. So bad. Uh, and, and I have, I think I've mentioned this before, I do like a monthly uh, championship odds recap for NBA.com, and the, the next one's coming out tomorrow. It kind of looks forward to the playoffs. So I'm digging through all the numbers. Do people realize how bad the Mavericks have been since oh, the deadline? Just awful. It's it's the, You look at the worst record uh, since the deadline. It's like Detroit, Portland, Washington. Sorry, Nick. It's tough, tough to be a Washington fan right now in all sports. <laughs> no, no, remember, and then they're it's my, Dallas. They're my, Chase, they're my mistress team. I'm still a Knicks fan first. The Wizards okay. are my mistress right. team. So you, you flirt with them in town now. Exactly. Uh, exactly. Any listeners? <laughs> I, so. I got to sell you on my Orioles sometime. Uh, sometime, uh, I think you're going to have a better time with them in the short term. I, it's it's shocking how bad Dallas has been since the break. And when you look at their odds, they're still top ten in the table. Now they're forty to one, which is like long shot pricing, but like they're probably gonna miss the playoffs. It's like a week from the end of the regular season, and they're only they're forty to one. It's just kind of crazy how they're being handicapped. The gap from what they are to to what they are perceived as is pretty I mean, wide. J- just even looking at this race for the playoffs as a whole has been just wild in the NBA. I love the parody, but it's a lot harder to bet on. That's for sure. Chase Kitty, host of the Lions Edge podcast. Good talking to you every week, buddy. Thanks, guys.